0: Welcome to the Westside Investors Network, Win your community of investing knowledge for growth. This is the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast for real estate professionals by real estate professionals. This show is focused on the next step in your career, investing. Thank you for listening. And please, if you like our content, rate us on your podcast provider. And now your hosts, AJ and Chris Shepard. Hi, this is Chris Shepard. Just a disclaimer, The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are for educational purposes only. They should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any shares or securities, make or consider any investments, or take any other actions. Thank you and enjoy
1: the show. All right. Today on the podcast, we've got Trent Werner. He joins us and talks about his journey from being a real estate broker to an investor. He shares on how he started house hacking, the process of starting a rental portfolio in partnership with other investors. He also discusses his major life event that altered his perspective and how that mind shift has driven him to find the keys to success. He talks about using off-site professionals and how they can leverage your time and efficiency. Without further ado, let's welcome Trent. All right. Today, we got Trent Werner here speaking with us. He's a real estate investor and also host of the Desk Talk podcast. Trent, is there you want to tell us a little bit more about yourself?
2: Yeah, first of all, thanks for having me on. I always enjoy talking with you guys. Like AJ said, I am a real estate investor myself. I also happen to co host the Desk Talk podcast, like he mentioned. I'm also a licensed real estate broker in Oregon and Washington, and I manage about 100 units for uptown properties. So I got a lot of different things going on. Personal, I coach baseball, I'm addicted to golf, and I have an amazing wife that I've been married to for just over a year now.
0: That is awesome, Trent. Thank you for uh, throwing uptown properties in there, AJ and I. When we hired you, what, two years ago? It was, you know, our the c- tradition of our company has just been altered. Like, it's been awesome working with you. And, yeah. So, let's get into it. Why, why don't you tell us a little bit about you know, where you kind of got your drive to invest? And, you know, our show is a lot about I'm talking about, how real estate professionals get into investing, and you are one of those real estate professionals who has done it. So, what has worked for you, and you know what what made you take that jump?
2: I have been kind of obsessed with the whole concept of using money to make more money or grow that money since I was about 16 years old. I started with the stock market. I've I dove headfirst into the stock market trying to, to figure that out. I'm a big fan of the stock market still today, but as I got into real estate as a broker, it really opened my eyes to investing in real estate, which used to be something that I thought was only for the the super rich because you need a lot of capital to to really start investing in real estate from what I thought. And so that drive kind of came at a young age. And once I really started understanding real estate more, it it really made me aware that I could invest myself and with other people and accumulate wealth through the power of real estate instead of just dumping money into the stock market and hoping that it goes up. So that's that's kind of where the drive came from. And then, you know, just since I've started investing in real estate, I kind of became addicted to it. Once Once you have your first one, I feel like you kind of want more. And you start figuring out ways to really start building your portfolio and adding more units to your portfolio. And that's been a whole different learning experience because the first one's the easiest, the second one's the hardest. And then after that, you kind of have more of a an understanding of financing and all the different aspects of real estate investing.
0: Amazing. So when we first met, I remember that day we were on Northwest 21st shooting pool, I think at the Silver Dollar. You were... Interested in you know, you were in contract to buy a duplex and You know, I remember hearing your story. You kind of had this major life event that really like Drove you to Really dive in do you want to kind of share how you know that major life event affected your decision-making way back
2: then? Yeah, Way back then two years ago Yeah, Chris said I went through a pretty traumatic experience. Actually, it was a pretty pretty traumatic year. I had lost a couple of young people that were really close to me, and then myself, I actually died in a car accident and was very lucky to still be alive. I ruptured my aorta and was bleeding out internally, but you know, praise praise the Lord that the EMTs got to me as soon as they did. So that was definitely an eye-opening experience at a young age being 21 years old and going through something like that, I think forced me to start thinking more maturely than I was previously, just because I I really understood how valuable life is and and how short it can be. And then that really made me start thinking of how I don't want to waste time anymore. And I don't want to just live for the weekend and, you know, figure out what my friends are doing on the weekend. I want to build something that I can leave behind when the time comes and, you know, do something crazy with the second chance that I was given. So now I'm all about moving onward and upward and trying to make the most of what I got. So that's, that's really why, you know, I'm I'm 24 now and I feel like I think like a 38 year old, which is, which is a blessing and a curse sometimes, but that's what really altered my perspective on life and, and opened my eyes to go do it now instead of waiting until, you know, everyone else tells you you can buy a house or everyone else tells you, yeah, when you turn 30, you can have kids and buy a house or, or whatever it may be. But that altered my entire perspective on life for the better, in my opinion.
0: So that is like, I mean, just what a major, major thing. And, you know, if, if we could just, dive in a little deeper on that and get a little more granule on, you know, how were you thinking before and then what changed after that event? I mean, it's so incredible that you had that moment to be able to, you know, come out the other side with this new perspective. And I, I feel like that's kind of like what a lot of people need, but I don't want, I would never wish that on anyone, but I am just so happy to be here with you today and that you do have this perspective. What do, you, what do you think it was that changed from before to after?
2: Well, before, like I said, I was, you know, I'm a 21-year-old kid thinking I'm on top of the world and I, you know, I'm invincible. I'm Superman. And when I realized that I'm not Superman and I could be cut down early it forced me to grow up right away. And I've read, I read a book, I can't remember the name of it, but it talks about how everyone either goes through a traumatic experience and it alters their perspective or they know someone that has gone through a traumatic experience and it alters their perspective on life. And like you said, Chris, I would never wish a traumatic experience on anyone, but if someone is and i'm doing air quotes here lucky enough to go through a traumatic experience i think it really forces them to understand life at a deeper level and you know when you're a kid you hear your parents and you hear adults in your life talk about stop and smell the roses and you know take soak it all in and now that i'm here i understand what they're talking about you know going and hanging out with your friends on the weekend is always a fun time but doing something more with your life is even cooler in my opinion. And I think today's society shows everyone on social media, like, Hey, you know, go buy the newest car, go buy the newest wallet, you know, go get designer brands, whatever. And that's all cool. But if you can really make an impact and a positive impact on someone else's life, that is like the coolest thing to me. And so you know, going through something like that and having my perspective change from I'm invincible, you know, I'm the best to, you know, I really needed someone else's help. I needed a human's help to keep me alive. I want to go be that human for someone else now. And that has helped me just think different and really value serving other people.
1: That's great. That's great. You know, it's Sounds like you sat in on our last podcast with Steve Sims, like providing that (laughs) impact and making an impact. And like, that's powerful. Let's move on. Let's talk about your first project.
0: How did you get into your duplex? So, you know, you came out with that new perspective. And then one of the first things that you did was buy that duplex. So, like, how did you get prepared to do that? Like, after your traumatic event, then that was pretty much your first thing that you did, right?
2: Well, first thing I did was go swing golf clubs because that was the first thing my physical therapist said I could do that was somewhat active. (laughs) Second thing I did was buy a duplex. And you know when you are in an experience like that and it isn't your fault, typically there's some money that gets distributed to the people that are involved. And after my enormous medical bills, I had some cash left over after paying those off. And I was able to buy a duplex. And in my opinion, being new in real estate, I was really attracted to the idea of owning more than one unit as my first purchase because it allowed me to, well, me and my wife to buy something larger than just a $300,000 single family house. It allowed us to buy a larger asset and you know, start a, a rental portfolio. And so that was something that I looked at my wife did not want to live in a complete beater of a house, which is something that I was looking at. And so we compromised on something that was updated and in a good area close to her work and close to my office. And so it was a good fit, both for work and for investment purposes.
0: So that's awesome. So your first purchase was a house hack. And, you know, After reading our book club book this month set for life by Scott Trench great book, by the way, you know The value of a house hack if you haven't read that book, then I highly highly recommend it so you purchased this duplex and then you know what what was your next step or next moves after getting into the duplex
2: well my next step was wanting to buy more because I saw the the benefits and the power of owning rental real estate. And so my first thought process was okay, I'm going to live like a hermit crab and save every single penny that I can so I can go do it again. And then I realized that that would take a long time to be able to do it myself unless, you know, I was just crushing it or something like that. And so, you know, it opened up my eyes to opportunities to partner with people and And think more creatively about investing in real estate aside from saving money, going and getting pre-approved and, you know, doing that process over and over again. And owning multifamily also showed me that, you know, I recommend it to every single person that I know. If you're a young person that wants to buy real estate, go buy a duplex because it is such a benefit to you and it can accelerate that growth process more so than buying a single family house and waiting two years and hoping that you have enough money at that time to go buy another one.
0: Awesome. So yeah, why don't you chat about our next project? Well, your next project, which actually was a partnership with us. Do you remember the details of exactly how that got hammered out?
2: I remember AJ sending me the listing for it. To be honest, I never really opened my search to east of the Willamette River because I'm a West Side guy through and through my whole life. And AJ found a good opportunity in North Portland. And I'm one to take risks. Like I said, I have this new perspective. I don't want to waste time. And so, you know, some people might have gotten stuck in, you know, oh, what if, what if it goes south or what if something bad happens with it? And in my head, I was, you know, let's just go do it and see what happens afterwards and so you know we closed on it and i think that
0: was on i think we got into contract on christmas day and it was
2: yeah i think it was christmas eve
0: christmas eve 2 years ago right
2: yep and then it closed early january and i get in there i'm walking around the property and it was pretty beat up to be honest i i don't think i personally was in any units that were in that condition and so I definitely had a little a little shock walking through them. And then, you know, just going through that process of having people like yourselves that, you know, I could ask questions and lean on throughout the process was a huge, huge help instead of me trying to figure it out on my own. And I really liked how I was able to try things and try to do it myself and then, you know, get some reassurance from you guys. And I think that is a huge benefit for me because now I understand it more so than if I was just making mistakes in my first investment property outside the one that I lived in.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Having a sounding board really, really helps. But the actual fact of you doing it yourself, making a few mistakes and then, you know, having a little bit of a safety net where, you know, AJ and I are your partners. So, you know if a mistake gets made solutions are always available it is it's a great way to do a project if you're a newer investor and you've got a little extra time maybe a little extra sweat equity you can put into a property that is a fantastic way to make a partnership happen and how long did the project take Trent and then what did it eventually appraise for and then also why don't you share you know how we refinance the property and you know just kind of walk us through all the little nuances of that deal.
2: Well, first things first, I will say one thing that I maybe missed or forgot to do right away was ask for copies of the leases for the units that we we purchased until like right before closing and then I found out that there were actually no leases in place and they were more handshake agreements because the previous owner had owned it for years and years. And so that was my first kind of, uh-oh, what did I just do? But then it was nice being able to figure out how to go about finding a solution for that kind of mistake or hurdle that I was thrown. But you know, we we got in there, one of the tenants was planning on moving out. And so we offered him a deal to move out earlier than he was intending to. And then another one of the tenants was kind of in the same boat, a little bit more headaches involved with that one. But ultimately got two tenants out and two units that we were able to turn over. Uh, it was my, those were my second and third units that I had turned over because I did turn over the the other unit at my duplex. And so I had some experience doing it, but not much. And so that was really cool to... Learn how to handle contractors and make sure things get done, and not just settling for the first estimate that I got. I remember the first estimate that I did get was for like eighty-six thousand dollars, and it was for the siding repair. And I called AJ, and I'm like, "Dude, I didn't do the budget right. Like, we're screwed. we
1: We didn't budget this in. Like, what's going on here?"
2: Yeah, and he goes, "No, like, there's other ways to do it." And so, learning that that concept and not necessarily settling for a a quote unquote consumer bid for the work to be done and finding different avenues to get the same work or similar work done for cheaper amounts was probably my biggest lesson that I took away from that project. And then ultimately, you know, I am a leasing agent myself and I manage a ton of units. And so I was comfortable renting them. I don't know if you guys know this, but at that time, those were the first two leases I ever wrote and I just, I pulled up the lease that we have and I went through it and filled it out the best that I could and got new leases signed. And then, you know, after then a couple, months, <laughs> yeah, after a couple <laughs> months, we were able to, to refinance it. We bought it for, I think, 400 and all said and done, you know, after some credits and whatnot, we got it for 385 net.
0: Do you remember the loan that we got to acquire the property?
2: Yes. It was a hard money loan or private money loan. That that was the first time I ever worked with one of those as well. So, that was definitely a learning experience. I created my first LLC through that process and now I feel comfortable doing that. And then I think it was like 6 or 7 months later we finally refinanced it for and it appraised at 710 or 708 or something like that and so in a in a matter of 7 months we took a property from we'll say 400 to 710,000 and just the feeling that that gave me of you know getting to the finish line and I had neighbors tell me like thank you for <laughs> fixing this place up because it was an eyesore and I had tenants that were thanking me because it's where they lived and they didn't feel like they were taken care of by the previous owners and so just that feeling in itself was so good that I wanted to just keep doing it over and over and over again and so now like I understand the reward that you get outside of the financial piece and you know just being able to kind of bring a 120-year-old building back to what it should be was more rewarding than saving money on contractors and that sort of thing.
1: If we could go back to where you got the property, I I always hear people complaining that like deals aren't out there. I can't find them or whatnot. Like this property was, was on the MLS, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I think it was on there for like four or six months, right?
2: Do you remember like the
1: negotiation of that or?
2: Yeah, it was, I think it was on there like six months. It was just sitting on the MLS kind of getting stale. I want to say it started at maybe 500 or just over 500. And then when we submitted an offer, it was at 450. I want to say we came in probably like 430 ish. And then through the inspection period and through the negotiation process, we got it down to to 400. And I mean, you don't have to go door knock. You don't have to go drive and you know, use some app to find deals. You can obviously buy wholesale deals, but there's also money to be made off MLS listed properties too.
1: Yeah, I think it's a thing of just being able to see value in something. You know, it, this particular listing like was just super stale, and the pictures were awful. I mean, it it looked bad. <laughs> Not only it was it bad, it looked bad too. So <laughs>
2: yeah, and I think I think that's one thing that a lot of people, because I I work with investors that want to buy real estate too, and they want to do bird deals and all this stuff. And, you know, this listing was listed for $50,000 more than what we ended up paying for it. And sometimes I think, you know, horrible iPhone pictures mixed with a, a price that's probably too high for it anyway, just automatically deter people from it where, you know, you never know what someone's willing to accept after it's been sitting there for as long as it has. Or even if maybe they just listed it high to test the waters. And in reality, they were willing to accept a lower price the whole time. You know, it never hurts to submit offers and you never know what you'll get to stick. So the MLS is definitely a great place to find investment properties.
1: Cool. It was a great project for sure. I was going to ask. So we we did the refinance and then let's talk about the next thing. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, after that, it turned into, a, oh, I want to see what a wholesale deal is like. <laughs> so we, we ended up buying a condo and that negotiation process was a little bit more strenuous and the, the wholesalers didn't really want to work with us on it. We eventually got it at a decent price and thinking, oh, the real estate market is rock solid right now let's take this on and it should be just a month or so and we'll, we'll cash out. We'll be good. And then we got hit with the pandemic and no one wanted to live in a small space downtown Portland anymore. So it definitely has delayed that process, but sticking with it and putting a little money into it has really increased the activity levels that I've seen on the, the condo itself. And I'm confident that it'll sell here in the next month or two.
0: Awesome. So, Having done those three deals, what do you think the keys to your success? I mean, because if I look at those three deals from, you know, an outside perspective, it's like, oh, you're house hacking a duplex and your living costs are lower every month because of that. That's amazing. You did a huge value add project on a fourplex and bought it for 405. I don't know. We don't know exactly how much you invested or, you know, the the joint venture invested to get it up to that $710,000 value. But that seems like it's a huge success. And then you're, we're about to sell a condo that we acquired at a wholesale price without doing too much work to it for a decent gain. So what what do you think makes those deals so effective and like, what are the keys to the success there?
2: I think really it's just taking action and not getting stuck, analyzing a bunch of deals and not being afraid to make mistakes. I mean, I played sports growing up my whole life and you know, I'm not ever, I'm not ever going to hit, get a base hit every single at bat that I have. I'm not ever going to catch every single pass that's thrown to me. And so it's okay to fail. And instead of, beating myself up over failures. I try to learn everything I can from them and take that on to the next deal. And so just taking action and not being afraid to face a a hurdle or an obstacle in front of me is something that has led to the growth that I've experienced over the last two or three years. And again, just, I want to continue to do it and I'm not going to be afraid to make a mistake. The stock market has shown me that I'm not going to make money on every single play that I invest in, and I think it's the same for real estate. Like you might have a deal that you buy that isn't a home run. You might have a deal that ends up being a single, but you're still on base. And even if you, you know, hit a hard hit ball, but you get out, and you might take a loss on a property, like you, you're you're still here to fight another day. And and I'm I'm okay with that. Like I can get punched in the face and get right back up. And so. The ability to not be afraid of making mistakes and understand that mistakes are going to be made and just is something that I think has helped me grow the way I have over the last two or three years.
0: That's awesome. So, I mean, as well, while you're investing, you're working full time as a real estate broker and as a property manager. And, you know, how are you balancing, you know, your investing and being a you know full-time real estate professional
2: I sleep faster that's (laughs) that's one thing that I learned from a guy that taught me the stock market in college He, he told me Trent you have to sleep faster what that means is just you know don't waste any time I saw a good video the other day from Steve Harvey he said the most successful people do not sleep eight hours a day because that's a third of your life that you're you're sleeping I know there are times where you need to sleep 8 hours a day and catch up on some rest and you know take a step back for a week or two but I I wake up every morning excited and I think that has something to do with the fact that I'm still here and you know my perspective on life and so every day to me is a good day and you know just keep going and be excited every single day even if you're getting pounded that day and you're not things aren't going your way it's just being excited to to find a solution to the problems that you're faced with. To organize myself, I'm awful. I am the worst, most unorganized person you might ever meet in your life. But again, if I maybe forget to do something one day, I'll do it the next day and I'm not going to beat myself up over it. I'm not going to be hard on myself. I'm going to be as organized as I possibly can be and rely on other people to help me out when I need to. Because I, like I said earlier, I understand the importance of other people in my life and the positive impacts that they give they have on me as well as I have on them
0: so talking about organization recently you know what in the past six months you've brought on a off-site professional how has that changed things for you and I guess like at what point did you feel like you needed that person and at what point did you feel like you know okay this is needed and this, yeah, you know, it, it makes sense to do this.
2: I think when I started really falling behind on certain tasks that I had on my list for the day, it was a really good indicator of needing some, some help and needing someone that I could work well with together. Like you said, I, I have teamed up with an offsite professional and she has had an immense impact on not only my my leasing role, but also my brokerage side of things, because it's allowed me to focus on the tasks that I enjoy and I'm good at. And she's very organized. She's very diligent and good at what she does and has been able to take over some of those things that I used to have to do every day and I would spend a lot of time doing. And now that I can rely on her to do it well and get things done, it's freed up. Time for me to sell more property and talk with more investors and talk with more potential clients. And then, you know, I happen to solve a lot of problems in, you know, whether it's brokerage or leasing, because most of the time when you're getting phone calls and property management, it's not to say good job, it's to let me know of an issue that they have and I need to find a solution to it. And so I'm able to kind of get that process rolling and then. Find a resolution instead of worrying about all the other tasks that are on my plate or on our plate. As I like to say, that Jess and I are a team, and we have a good team right now that's working very well together.
1: And our listeners may not know exactly what offsite professionals are. Can you kind of describe what we're talking about?
2: Yeah, it's someone that is not necessarily in the office. But they have all the the skills and capabilities to, you know, work as if they were in the office. Most of our meetings are virtual over video calls or phone calls or whatnot. And, you know, it works well together because I'm used to doing that regardless because I've been accustomed to it the whole time at at Uptown. And, you know, she happens to live in the Philippines, but that, that really doesn't change a whole lot. She's excited to be here every day. I'm excited to work with her on our team and we hammer things out. We get stuff done.
0: That is awesome. So how did you have to change to bring on that new person and to like leverage having like having her extra time
2: before, you know, bringing her on? I thought I was a good coach. I coach baseball and I'm more than capable of coaching a sport. But coaching business and the everyday role that I play, whether it's brokerage or leasing, is something that I just kind of knew, and I just you know did it i didn't I didn't really write things down i didn't really have a rhyme or reason for doing doing it, but I just got things done, and the biggest learning curve for me was conveying that information to someone else and getting them up to speed where you know they can do these things as if I were doing them with their own twist on them. Because I know that things that I do may not be the most efficient or may not be the most organized, which is probably the case with me. (laughs) And so one thing that I've really become accustomed to is saying, hey, this is how I did it or this is how I do something. If you can find a more efficient or organized way to do it, by all means, go for it and let me know what I need to do to abide by that. And so just the coaching and the ability to kind of pass off those things to do was my biggest learning curve. I had no idea what I was doing. And so that's been, that's been my biggest challenge, but I feel like I'm more comfortable at it now.
0: That is one of the like, most difficult things that I've faced is just realizing that you need help to grow. And you can't do it all yourself. And when it's all in your head, it's almost impossible to like see that growth. So writing it down and coming up with a process, maybe creating a loom video so your teammate can watch you do it as you do it while you're explaining it. And, you know, it's like you're only as good as you're able to explain what you have to do and how to get it done. It's a tough one.
2: Yeah. And I I mean, growing up, like I was, you know, captain or or whatever on sports teams. And I was never the person that was going to fire someone up by, you know, some motivational speech or whatever. To be honest, I'm not the best like grammatic writer. And I will admit that I talk very well and I can present myself well and get ideas across via words. But when I have to try to put them down on paper, it's a jumbled mess sometimes. And so being able to find what works best for myself and then also my teammates has been kind of just leading by example. And that, you know, the loom videos have been a huge help because I can walk through on my computer how I'm doing something and show someone how I'm doing it instead of having to try to write it down and explain it through written words.
0: Yeah aj is extremely good at coming up with a process and then conveying that process and then the extra piece where i'm absolutely terrible is checking in and you know seeing how that process is going and if you've handed off a process to a teammate and they've had you know had some problems with it so maybe they're not using it like as much as they want aj you know, is checking in, like, each week and being like, oh, well, if it's not doing what we need here, we can just tweak this. And, you know, it's like that living and breathing process that gets better every week because you check in with it. Right, AJ?
1: Yeah. And I'm sure – well, Trent, when you first started off with your off-site professional, you were meeting, like, every morning, right? Still am. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a constant, like – you know, back and forth, the first time is never going to be 100% correct. But if you don't take that first step forward and, like, just start something, you're, you're never going to get anywhere anyway. So even if it's, if it's not 100% in the right direction, at least if it's more than 50% in the right direction, you're going the right
2: way. So, And that goes back to just taking action and and, you know, having the willingness to just go for it and do yeah.
1: it. I mean, it, it can apply to investing and it can apply to anything like taking action is, is super important.
0: AJ's favorite word. So we would used to end <laughs> our meetings with a, a one word close. Yeah. AJ would always say the progress. same word. Progress. progress. It progress. used to be one of our passwords, you know, just <laughs> <laughs> progress. Progress.
1: I like it. Well, I think it's probably time we get to the last four questions. So, Trent, I think this might be the first time that the first question doesn't really apply to you.
2: I I (laughs) tweaked it a little bit.
1: (laughs) So, we're going to tweak it for you. What's one piece of advice you would give your 18 year old self?
2: (laughs) That's exactly what I wrote down on here because I'm not 25 until next month. (laughs) I would tell my 18 year old self to you know be open to other investments other than the stock market. I think when I was young I focused all my energy on learning the stock market and I didn't really consider real estate as an investment just because I didn't know a whole lot about it. And so I would tell myself at a younger age to be open and learn about all the different types of investments out there that you can accumulate wealth through.
0: I love that being open. I think just you know being open is a great just trait. Okay. So what was your first entrepreneurial endeavor?
2: In high school, I was a senior and I was hurt for the entire baseball season with a broken wrist that wouldn't heal. And so I had a lot of time on the sidelines with one of my baseball coaches. At that time, Kendama was becoming a big thing. I don't know if you know what that is. I do but not. It's like a wooden kind of fork looking thing that has three cups, two on the sides, one on the bottom, and then has a spike and then has a ball, a wood ball with a string attached. And you can do like tricks and whatnot. Since one of my hands was in a cast, I could only use one hand. So I got pretty good at it. And then it started going off, just, you know, it became more popular. And so I asked one of my baseball coaches, who's very driven and entrepreneurial, if he would be an investor for it. And so I bought 100 Kandamas wholesale from China, and then branded it with Portland Kandama Company, and we started a business. My mom still has ninety-seven Kandamas <laughs> in her garage. So I only sold three of them, but you know, that was that was my first entrepreneurial endeavor.
1: There you go. Love it. If anybody needs a Kandama, you know who to call. <laughs>
2: Free of charge. My mom would love them out of her garage. <laughs>
1: Awesome. All right. Next question. How has your formal and informal training shaped your journey?
2: This one was kind of interesting to me because, I mean, the only formal training I've had in in real estate has been kind of just like mentorship classes and the, the license course, I guess. But I've had formal training in like life insurance and health insurance, the banking industry, and all those things have shown me that you have to have Customer service and be professional and really have other people's goals in your forefront and not be worried about yourself. And so I would say, you know, those have really taught me to think of others and try to help other people accomplish their goals. And like the go giver talks about, if you're going to give something else to someone else, the law of reciprocity says you'll get something back eventually. So I'd say that's been my formal training. My informal training has just been. Hours and hours and hours on YouTube and the internet, just trying to learn what I'm passionate about. And I think, you know, I'll be the first to say it I've learned more myself than from any college professor that I I dealt with when I was in college. And, you know, I think being able to just go do something yourself, especially with how much information we can access nowadays, has been, been my biggest takeaway and my biggest source of knowledge.
0: That is awesome. The journey of lifelong education, something we definitely believe in here at Uptown. Okay, Trent. Our last question, what was or what is your Moby Dick of real estate? The one that got away.
2: So I could only, I could only really think of one and it was the sixplex in Hillsboro that would have been a really good deal. I think that was the one time where I kind of got stuck in trying to get the best deal possible when the deal that was presented to me was honestly a pretty good, pretty good. deal. <laughs> now that I look back at it, so I would, I would uh, like to have that one back.
0: <laughs> I was in contract to buy that property.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <Twice>. <laughs>
0: you want to tell us a little
1: bit about it or like what happened?
2: It was a beat up sixplex, kind of like the fourplex I talked about earlier. I was super excited to go do the same type of process with two extra units. and to be honest, like I said, looking back at it, it was at a pretty good price as is, and I maybe got a little aggressive with trying to get more money off of the, the list price or the price that we had it in contract at. and I just kind of you know I missed out on a, a really good opportunity because I let myself get in the way.
0: We did an interview with Steve Rose. He owns like urban, large, urban Bristol Urban Assets. Yeah, he owns apartments. a pretty big multifamily portfolio. And his, like, I guess motto is like once, you know, basically once you kind of get there, it's time to just shut up and pay up, you know. And it, like if you've identified it as a good deal, there's absolutely no reason to nickel and dime and it's it's just time to, to get it done because if you look back at it in 30 years or 15 years or even 10 years, like that deal is, is going to be a good deal if you followed your underwriting process that led you to the deal in the first place to make that initial offer.
2: Yeah, and I think… I mean, like I said, looking back on it, trying to save an extra 20 or 30 grand in the grand scheme of things was just not worth it. And there was going to be plenty of upside as is. And I was a nickel and dimer, which I know not to be now.
1: Well, I got to say, you're super lucky. You've learned a lot of lessons very young. Like, I'm super excited to see where you go with everything. Like, it's pretty awesome. So Again, I wanted to thank you for being on the podcast. We really appreciate it. It was fun chatting with you.
2: I appreciate you guys having me on.
0: Yeah, really, really enjoyable. I am excited to watch you succeed as well. And it's fun being a part of the journey.
1: Well, if our listeners want to get a hold of you, why don't you give some plugs as to how how they can do that best?
2: Instagram is my main social media. Check out Realtor. Trent W. on Instagram or Desk Talk Podcast. I'm pretty available on either one of those. Definitely go follow my Instagram. I need to up my followers a little bit. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Trent.
2: Thank yeah, you, guys. Thank
0: you. thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast on WIN, your community for investing knowledge for growth. Please take a second to rate us so that we can get more great investors to interview. If you or someone you know wants to be on, please go to westsideinvestors.com and fill out our form.